Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. Conversations that change the way you lead. This week, we're going to be tackling not one, but two major issues that affect the local church. The role of women and the importance of discipleship. This is partly because these are the two latest books by today's guest, Lucy Pepiat, who is the principal of Westminster Theological Centre. She and her husband, Nick Crawley, lead Crossnet Anglican Church in Bristol. The books we're considering are Women and Worship at Corinth, colon, Paul's Rhetorical Arguments in 1 Corinthians 11-14, to published by Whitf and Stock, and The Disciple, on Becoming Truly Human, also by Whitf and Stock. So welcome, uh, Lucy, to the Leadership Farm. Um, we don't have uh, just time to do justice to, to both books. In fact, we, you know, we may be uh, very adventurous in seeking to do this. But it'd be good to just put you into a bit of context. How did you come to be both a principal of a, a theological centre and also running a local church? Well, I um, when I uh, got married uh, twenty five years ago, I um, felt that God was calling me into lay ministry. My husband was ordained. And um, he felt that too. So I went ahead and trained as a a lay reader then in the Diocese of London. And Nick and I have always um, really just run things in the church together. I've done a lot of preaching and leading and um, leading groups over the last 25 years. I've always been very involved in our local church and felt that that was a calling. on me and and then a few years ago um, and because I was leading in the local church I felt that really I needed to become more conversant with my faith do some more study and so I started studying theology and um, never stopped and I ended up doing a PhD in systematic theology and then started teaching a little bit at um, WTC a few years ago and did a bit of teaching at Trinity in Bristol and then when the previous principal resigned uh, I was around and I got offered first the Dean of Studies job and then the principal's job. Oh, splendid and WCTC rather is of course Westminster Theological Centre though you're not based in Westminster as such? No, not anymore. It started in London and now our offices are in Cheltenham and the college uh, runs through a hub-based system, so it's a dispersed model and we have hubs all around the country and one in Sweden. Oh, well, good. Now, we've looked at uh, women in leadership before in the leadership file, but never looked at particular texts of scripture like your your book does. So I need to um, to, to just remind listeners of, of... some of the texts in 1 Corinthians 11 to 14, which uh, which we're going to focus on. Uh, the one in 1 Corinthians 11, of course, where Paul is is talking a little bit about, uh, he, he talks about the headship of uh, of Christ and the head of the woman is man, the head of Christ is God. And then he, he goes on to talk about uh, women praying and prophesying uh, in the text. Uh, so that's 1 Corinthians 11. And then, but later on in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, we read verse 35 that, 34 that women should remain silent in the churches. They're not allowed to speak but must be in submission, as the law says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home. So on the one hand, you've got 1 Corinthians 11, women praying and prophesying in, in a church context. So prophecy is being obviously audible. And in verse 34 in chapter 14, 
there to remain silent. And um, I mean, I, I grew up in a church where women were f- forbidden from taking any vocal part in the church service apart from singing because of that verse. Uh, and, and of course, there were denominations in the UK where where, where, where that's still believed to be the case. Um, in other churches, of course, they're a little bit more open to women speaking, leading. In fact, in, in some cases, there's no there's no bar on any involvement. Uh, but they're still puzzled, perhaps, by this this contradiction. And your book obviously seeks to un, un, unwrap that uh, particular topic. Yes, I, I got in, interested in. 1 Corinthians 11 to 14, because I saw so many inconsistencies, actually, in the text. Um, In the 11 passage, um, in the tongues passage in 14, and then in the women passage. And once I started to really research it, I realized that there are very few um, adequate answers for us in terms of, of actually really making sense of those texts. So I started to look in earnest at some of the um, sometimes quite glaring contradictions actually in what appears to be Paul's thought, um, also in his theology. So the theology that comes out in 1 Corinthians 11 in in relation to man and woman, uh, especially in 11.7, the idea that man alone is the glory and image of God and woman in, is his glory. And there are some, there are some very um, odd theological understandings of creation and gender and relation of man and woman to one another and to Christ and Christ um, to God and how that all fits in as a pattern. So once I started looking at that, I, I found really too many inconsistencies and contradictions. And so I propose in my book that actually Paul is engaging with the Corinthian thought there and that the Corinthians had got in a muddle over men and women and how women should behave in public worship and Paul is correcting them in those passages and uh, saying that women shouldn't wear head coverings because their hair is their glory and uh, that they have a natural glory because they are women and um, so he sets them free from that that's my thesis in the book okay Um, and you use the the phrase Paul's rhetorical arguments Um, Mm. so uh, for the for, from people not familiar with that form of speech what what does how does the rhetorical argument concept come across the rhetorical arguments the idea that he's using an ancient form of argumentation where you cite your opponents or the people that you're arguing with not necessarily signaling that oh you say this i say this um but you weave it in to the way that you're speaking or writing and that that would have been a very acceptable way people would have understood that's how people often set up arguments um, in the ancient world and with Greek rhetoric and Paul would have been familiar with that and that way of arguing and actually it's well known that in 1 Corinthians he does cite the Corinthians in different places and so if you look at your Bibles you'll find that there are quotation marks in certain places in uh, chapter eight, for instance, and um, they're not—they're not in the original. The quotation marks—they're what editors have decided for sure. Paul is now quoting the Corinthians here, possibly from the Corinthian letter. Um, and so, my 
uh, thesis, my idea, is just that he's quoting the Corinthians a bit more extensively than people had originally thought, and then that brings coherence to the passage once you once you uh, look at it from that perspective. Instead of all these inconsistencies, there's a, actually a coherent pattern to these passages in 11 and then the two in 14. Okay. And, of course, just to remind li- uh, listeners that... that it was originally written in Greek. There wasn't, there was no paragraphing, there were no verse, um, no verses in that sense. So, so uh, interpreters have to have to read the text and make judgments as they interpret into English. Mm, that's right. Um, uh, and um, you you were led to this approach because of the cons- inconsistencies, particularly, were you, or was it was yeah. there other wider reading that you'd done that that helped oh, you? Well, I I came across. Um, a study of Paul's rhetoric through uh, Professor Douglas Campbell, who's a professor in the US at Duke Divinity School, and he's done a massive amount of work on Romans. Um, and so, really, I, 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 my way in was listening to him speaking about Paul's use of rhetoric, which I realised was, um, you know, everybody knew that Paul does this, whether he does it to the extent uh, that Douglas. Uh, proposes in Romans is very controversial <laughs> but um, but I was really fascinated by the whole concept that Paul is a very very masterful rhetorician and and I knew already that he was a brilliant theologian so I was kind of troubled really by the fact that he came across as so muddled in these passages and I thought this doesn't quite make sense to me because I think he's a brilliant person and a brilliant and deep theologian he's our first theologian really in the church and um i I, so so that was my way into trying to make sense of it yeah and of course you you, because you are you believe the bible is the the word of god you haven't gone kind of the liberal route which says well Mm -hmm. that doesn't really matter anyway because you know we can make what we like of the text You, you 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 know that's that's a route that wasn't open to you yeah, no, that that matters to me actually. That I, I mean, people do. There are two approaches. One is to ignore it and say, oh, it's irrelevant because it's wrong, kind of thing. You know, it, and that would be a more liberal way of saying, well, Paul's just wrong about women, and so we'll throw it out. Um, another approach is to say that they are interpolations, so that they've been added. That's a lot of people think that's about the end of fourteen, that a scribe would have added it later so it's not so they say well it's not Pauline so we'll relegate it to some kind of secondary status but to me that's not adequate because I think yeah but it's there it's in the Bible and um, if we really believe that the Bible is God's word to us then I think that it's beholden upon us to wrestle with it and say well what might it mean what does it mean and I think that my approach actually really does bring coherence to Paul as a thinker, to Paul as a theologian, to Paul as one who uh, worked with women, as we know, he, you know, many, many of his co-workers were women, they led churches, they taught, they spoke, they evangelized, they discipled, so it really is very peculiar for him to suddenly come out with these things in Corinth, and also to say 
these are universal rules. So people dismiss it. The other the other way that people sort of get round it, you know, wriggle out of it in a way, is to say, well, it's context specific or it's cultural. But what I do show in my book is that it's not. Um, it's a universal ruling, if it is Paul. Um, and it's not cultural, it's rooted in a creation theology. So we can't just dismiss it on the grounds that it's only contextual, I would say. Sure, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for, for, the, for that insight. And just uh, if you're listening and searching for a pen, uh, the book is Women and Worship at Corinth, colon, Paul's Rhetorical Arguments in 1 Corinthians 11 to 14. It's published by Whipf and Stock, that is W-I-P-F and Stock, and uh, Lucy Pepiat, uh, P-E-P-P-I-A-T-T. So splendid. You're listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. We're joined by Lucy Pepiat, the principal of Westminster Theological Centre. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Lucy Pepiat. She's the author of uh, two books in particular that we're looking at today, uh, Women in Worship at Corinth, which we looked at before the break. And we're going to look at the second book uh, now, The Disciple on Becoming Truly Human, which is also published by Whitf and Stock. So, um, Lucy, we um, we turn to the issue of discipleship. And uh, I, th- I love the, um, the subtitle uh, of the book, um, On Becoming Truly Human. Uh, and it's sometimes thought that discipleship means becoming more spiritual. So obviously, uh, uh, I appreciate it, it, it may have been a, um, an editor that helped you with the, with the subtitle. I don't know. But uh, it, that, that's obviously part and parcel of your understanding of discipleship. It is very much so. Um, no, it was it was my subtitle. Oh, it is good. <laughs> it came out of it really came out actually of my PhD work um, on the whole question of what has Christ really done for us in becoming truly human um, and that if he becomes like us to become truly human then we have a pattern of what it means to be truly human in Jesus Christ and so becoming like him will mean that we become more human and not sort of less human and more spiritual so um, I was really kind of toying playing with those ideas and the fact that I, I love the idea really that the incarnation means that Jesus has come into everything that is human and God has come into humanity, into us in order to make us more like him, but that that is the most liberating, freeing, amazing thing that can happen to a human being. Um, So I was looking in the disciple at really theological ideas behind discipleship Um, But I wanted to try and make them accessible for normal people in normal churches and not get very sort of academic uh, because in my work with my husband in our church, we have been involved in discipling young people now for about 11 years and before that we did it in our previous churches and um, just feel the importance of that really for older people to invest in young people in that way. Oh, so that's terrific. And um, you speak of a, a crisis in discipleship in the early part in, of the book. You ask the question, what has happened in our understanding of the nature of God and the nature of the Christian life that has caused us to abandon discipleship as our primary focus? Uh, it's a big question. Yeah, it is a big question. And I think um, I came into the charismatic church when I was in my early 20s and hadn't been part of the evangelical church before then. So in some ways came in as a bit of an outsider. 
and loved it. I, I was filled with the spirit, and, and I think the charismatic church is wonderful. Um, but I was perturbed, I think, by the lack of depth, probably, in understanding, lack of depth of understanding of our own faith, and the um, the ease with which a lot of Christians can be knocked off, <laughs> knocked off balance, derailed um, by difficult circumstances, difficult questions, by being in groups where our faith is ridiculed or um, ignored. And so my interest and my husband's interest is to um, help to root ourselves, each other, and other people in the faith so that so that we are not knocked, you know, not tossed about by uh, winds that blow around us and storms. And and we taking Jesus' idea where he said, if you take my words and put them into practice, then you'll be like people who build their houses on the rock. You know, when the storms come, you won't be shaken. Um, and so we thought, well, if that's the promise of Jesus, then it must work. You've got to so, <laughs> so let's give it a go yeah. and um, see what happens when you live in communities where you encourage one another to put Jesus's words into practice. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, the, the word disciple and uh, discipleship, of course, has become a bit of a a turn off for some because it it implies a certain style and approach to Christianity. Um, you you don't always just use the word disciple, do you, in the in the book? No, I've taken ideas from other people. I lean very heavily on Dallas Willard, um, who is one of my heroes, and I think he's absolutely brilliant at dealing with the whole concept of how grace, the grace of God and our own response in effort is combined. And he, he does that very brilliantly himself, so I've lifted his ideas. He talks about being an apprentice, so I've I've used that picture um, being like an apprentice to an artisan. So Jesus is the skilled artisan who knows how to live life. And if we follow him and learn from him, then we will understand how to live our lives here and now um, in the way, as Dallas Willard said, in the way that Jesus would live his life if he were me. And um, so that's one picture. And just, yes, this sort of idea of a learner, of um, someone who's following um, those kind of ideas. And uh, you've you've hinted already. You hope your book will will be accessible to, um, or, or is accessible. I should say, not will be is accessible to um, to people who who don't have an academic background. Mm. I hope so. I I know that. Um, I think there are a lot of ideas in it, uh, but I think it's accessible. I know that people who've done it in groups in their church in home groups and um, churches that have studied it and I put a few little practical questions at the end and applications um, so I, I hope it gives people a way in to thinking about discipleship which means that it's possible and uh, which means that it's that it has a practical application as well as a good theological understanding of actually what does it mean to be like Jesus in this life? Is that even a possibility? And how could we think about that? So those are the kind of questions I'm trying to answer. Splendid. Well, um, <clears throat> your your book is, as we've said, earthed in a, a church community you helped to lead. Um, you're also principal of Westminster Theological Centre. You you hinted already that uh, this is a, a slightly different way of, of, of doing 
theological college than than a residentially based one. How how does the centre run? You hinted at the at the early term, but it may be that people are listening who anticipate theological college and wondering about that kind of style. Yes, well, we've tried. Uh, we do make theological training and education accessible for people where they are by this hub-based model. So we offer degrees and certificates and diplomas in theology that are all part-time, so we don't do anything full-time. It's um, evenings and residentials, so it's designed for people who have busy home lives or busy work lives. And we have a hub-based model, so hopefully there's a hub near most people in this country. There are a few gaps. Um, And you have two residentials a year. We have intensive teaching you meet everybody that you're studying with your faculty face to face they're wonderful times we have worship and um, prayer ministry and a lot of teaching a lot of discussion and very very exciting times of gathering and then you go back home and you have evenings on a monday or tuesday in your hub and you meet with a smaller cohort of students and you have video conferenced uh, seminars or recorded lectures so it's it's not distance learning at all it's like a, a sort of um, home-based model with a real face-to-face feel and community feel it's it's great right and uh, uh, the, the kind of costs that are involved without going into necessary detail it's is it a, ch- a cheaper model than going away to college yes it's it's much cheaper than university um, we we keep the costs down deliberately because we want it to be available to people. We offer bursaries as well um, and we have some full time, full bursaries for people from uh, addiction or offending backgrounds are offered. Um, so it really is, we really, really do want to make theological education and training accessible to people who would might feel, oh gosh, either not have the confidence to do it or think they don't have the time or think they don't have the money. So we're really trying to make it easy because our, our real heart and vision is that we are part of building up the church and building up people in confidence as missionaries, uh, disciples, as people in the workplace, Christians in the workplace, who just have confidence in their scriptures, confidence in their faith, confidence in their God. And I I think that we really are able to do that. So it's a very, very exciting um, college to be part of. Fantastic. Great. And um, how can people... Uh get copies of uh, of the books um, presumably it's the these are things that books that are for sale in Christian bookshops and also online um, well unfortunately only online because of my publishers they're based in America they're wonderful publishers but their UK distribution is um, is only online okay. so through Amazon through their own website which is the Whitfenstock website and um, if you come and study at WTC you can just them at WTC. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Okay. And um, just to say also, of course, you'll be uh, taking part in a discipleship forum that uh, I'm helping to host in conjunction with CWR, which will be next uh, February in Bristol. Uh, so go to www.discipleship-forums.co.uk and you can find out more about that. It's a very nominal cost uh, to be there. So if folk want to hear you live, that'll be the place to, to go, uh, as well as, of course, many other venues as well. Yeah, great. Looking forward to that. Splendid. So you're listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I was joined this week by uh, Lucy Pepiat, 
Lucy's the principal of Westminster Theological Centre. She and her husband, Nick Crawley, lead Crossed Anglican Church in Bristol. Uh, and the books we were considering were wor- wi- Women and Worship at Corinth, Paul's Rhetorical Arguments in 1 Corinthians 11 to 14, and The Disciple, hyphen, uh, sorry, uh, colon, On Becoming Truly Human, also published by Whitf and Stock. So thank you, Lucy, so much. Thank you, Andy. And uh, thank you for listening. Uh, do tune in next uh, Sunday at 3.30. Uh, do also, obviously, access the archive versions of Legit Far by going to Premier's own website, going to the radio section, and you can uh, download uh, archive versions, including this one, in due course. I look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.